Well, good morning, everybody. It's great again to have another opportunity to come and share uh, God's Word with you. And what we're going to do this morning is um, something that's quite familiar. We're going to turn again to the book of Romans. This time we're going to turn to Romans chapter 10, where Paul continues to really address the, the issues surrounding his own people, the nation of Israel. And here he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they do not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, He will, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the faith, the word of faith we are complaining. We are proclaiming. That is, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to, to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Let's just come before God and pray. Father, we pray as we look at the life of your people Israel and the reality of their relationship with you, 
that Father you will speak to our hearts about our relationship and our responsibility towards you and towards a world that is lost without you. Lord, speak clearly to your people now in the power of the Spirit through your word. This we now pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I know that it was a, a long, long time ago. It was, but the last time that we looked together at Romans, back in, in March, we began to explore the reason why Israel found themselves in the situation they were in. How this could happen. That this people who were called to be the people of God ended up instead rejecting their Messiah and finding themselves outside of the blessing of God. So in Romans 9 to 11, Paul helps us to understand something of the, the, the dynamics of this by looking at Israel's past, present, and future. Now that last time, we focused then on chapter 9 where the, the emphasis was more on the past, moving a little bit into the future and in God's initiative in all of this. This time we're going to focus on chapter 10, where here the emphasis is on Israel's present situation overlapping a little into the past and also into the future. If there is a next time, you'll simply say then we'll look and move into chapter 11 to look at Israel's future and the purposes of God. Now I want to make it clear that at the heart of all that's going to be said today, there stands the theme of human responsibility. But where we're going to begin is by looking first in verse 1 to 4 at the problem of ignorance. Now I want to introduce this with a, just a little story. A man opened a, a new business and his friend sent him a floral arrangement as a token of his best wishes. Strange choice, I think, but hey, they've all teach to their own. But anyway, a few days later, this friend dropped in to see how this new venture was going. And he was pained to see that these flowers that he'd sent had a sign on them that read, rest in peace. So he, he called the florist to complain, and the florist's reply was, you know, it could be worse. In a cemetery somewhere in this city, there is a flower arrangement on a grave that reads, Welcome to your new location. Now you see, someone in the florist made a mistake. I'm sure it was a sincere mistake. I'm sure that they were convinced that they had sent the right flowers to the right place with the right labels. But they made a mistake. They got things wrong. In this particular instance, it, it wasn't too serious. There are other times, though, when people, though sincere and though full of enthusiasm, full of zeal, when they get things wrong, and it's very, very serious indeed. Now, never was this more true than with regard to Israel in relation to righteousness and the way to salvation. Because Israel were undoubtedly sincere. They were sincere about God, sincere about righteousness, sincere about the way to salvation. They were sincere. They were full of zeal. And Paul knew that. He could testify to all of that because he had been one of them. 
but because their zeal was not based on knowledge. Verse 2 there. Because they were willfully ignorant of God's way to righteousness with him, his way to find his salvation, so their sincerity, their zeal, degenerated into fanaticism, into that ugly, unloving, unmoving, unreasoning state. And verse 3 here really sketches out Israel's story with, with regard to righteousness. It says there, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to righteousness. That is that, that although in the, the Old Testaments the evidence was there, there to be found, that God's way to righteousness, the path to righteousness that God lays out, is and has always been the way of faith. Although that's their example, Genesis 15:6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Yet Israel seemed to be blind to this. They ignored this. And so as verse 3 says, the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. You see, what's happening is that Israel ignored God's way to righteousness, the way of faith. And they took the law, the law that was given to God, given by God to be a guide to his people to show them how to live the holy life once they'd attained righteousness with him by faith, they took this and they instead made obedience to the law, the way to righteousness with God. As it says here, they sought to establish their own. And so when Jesus came, who as verse 4 says, is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. That is the end of the law in that he finally lived out all the demands of the law perfectly. He was the one who did all that in his perfect life and who gave that perfect life on the cross to pay for all our sin and disobedience. They're ending and terminating any claim the law might have on us and made it clear finally and eternally that God's way to righteousness is by faith and particularly by faith in him, in Christ. But see again, verse 3, it says, Israel, who did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, Israel still would not give in to the gospel of grace, the gospel of faith in Christ, because they didn't like what it said about them, that they were sinners like the rest of mankind. They didn't like the thought that they, by their good works, by their obedience, all their good deeds couldn't work their way to God. The fact that they too had to humble themselves and accept righteousness from God, salvation as a gift by faith. All of this offended their pride. And so they refused to submit to this. They refused to accept the gospel. They refused to accept their Christ, their Messiah. It sounds incredible. It sounds almost unbelievable, except for the fact that we see exactly the same thing happening today, and not just among Israel. 
people who are blinded to, ignorant of, and determined to resist God's way to righteousness and salvation. People who, if they acknowledge that there is a God, are still determined to get right with this God by their own efforts, by their church attendance, their good works, by maybe giving to the poor, helping the needy. People who cannot bear, or at least who are resistant to the message of the gospel, who are offended when they're told that they're sinners, separated from a holy God who could have nothing to do with their sin, who are offended when they're told that God in Christ came to this earth, lived the perfect life we could never live, and then gave that life on the cross as the payment for all our sin. This message is an offense, a continuing offense, to the pride of so many people. And if there's anyone watching this morning, and that's your frame of mind, then my appeal to you is this. Don't stay blinded. Don't remain in your ignorance. Give up resisting. For the facts are that you are a sinner. Meaning not that you're a a terrible or an immoral, evil person. No, but meaning that you fall short of God's glory, of the perfection of God, the ultimate we were created with the potential to share it. Sin It's not about us comparing ourselves to other human beings and saying, I'm better comparing ourselves to God. And who then can deny that we fall short? It's like me say, gathering together 10 of the world's best long jumpers, the very best, people who in comparison to other people are just out there on their own, far above the norm. So I then maybe take them to a Drossen Harbour. And I say, you know, I love going to Aaron, but I'm sick of paying the fares. You're the greatest long jumpers among the whole human race. I'll tell you what, you jump there, I'll see how it's done, and then I'll follow you and do the same. Now, some of these people, they might manage 25 feet, 26 feet, 27 feet, I don't know what the current record is. But do you think any of them would make it to Arn? They wouldn't, would they? No, they'd all get very wet and very cold. Well, then let me tell you that they have got a better chance of jumping to Arn than we have of, by our own efforts, reaching God's standards of righteousness. So don't remain in ignorance. Don't stay blinded. Give up resisting. Face up to the fact that you are a sinner. But we'll move on now from the problem of ignorance to look at the way to righteousness as it's laid out for us here in Romans 10, 5 to 13. But there are one or two things that I think we need to be, to be clear about before we can get to the core of what Paul's actually saying here. First, When Paul quotes Moses in verse 5, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. What he's doing here is he's setting out Israel's and his own previous misunderstanding of Moses. 
that they used to attempt to attempt to use to justify their righteousness by obedience to the law that's what they did that we could be okay by our own works and good efforts but you see when Moses first said that the man who does these things will live that is who lives in obedience to the law will live well he wasn't I believe saying that in this way that they would find life that they would find salvation because as we said that's always been by faith but rather what this is saying is having come to God and found salvation by faith that God's law then God's word would then guide us can guide us into living the kind of life that pleases God the kind of full life that is a lone life and that brings blessing and true joy then Paul quotes Moses again here as to how we might find this righteousness of God that comes by faith in verse 6 to 8 but the righteousness that is by faith says do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is bring Christ down or who will descend into the deep that is bring Christ up from the dead but what does it say the word is near you it is in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith we are proclaiming now what Paul's getting at here I believe is that God has made the gospel God has made the message of righteousness by faith accessible and understandable you don't have to climb up into heaven or go down into hell to find Christ God hasn't made the gospel some secret that he's hidden away somewhere he hasn't made it complex and difficult to understand or rather all that is necessary has been done by Christ and it's all out there it's all in the open the gospel message is a simple message that is out there and all we have to do is take hold of it by faith and not only has God made the the gospel accessible and understandable he's also made it equally accessible to all he will read as the scripture says anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and then Paul gets to the core of the matter he gets to the core of what righteousness through Christ by faith really is all about in verse 9 and 10 if you confess with your mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved John Stott he summarizes here thus heart and mouth inward belief and outward confession belong essentially together confession without faith would be vain but likewise faith without confession would be shown to be spurious and what we're called to believe and confess is here also laid out before us that is 
Jesus as Lord. Jesus as Lord. Jesus risen from the dead. Victor over death. Jesus, God in human flesh, sovereign, almighty God, come to live among us just all because of his great love for us. Jesus, who died on the cross to pay the price of our sin. Jesus, who then rose from the dead, who defeated death and sin and all the powers of evil. That's who we are called to believe. That's what we're called to confess. That's what we have to believe and confess to truly be Christians. But here I want to just make it clear that implicit in all of this is the need for a transformed Christ-like life. That is that as a result of our confession, as a result of our belief, we will live a transformed life, a changed life. Because you see, what we have here isn't salvation by slogan. It's not salvation simply as the result of saying the right things, trotting out the right sentences by rote. It's not that. Because you see, when and if we truly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, if we believe that he is God, the sovereign God, if we trust that he in his love gave himself for us on that cross, if we truly believe that, if we understand what that means, then how can we do otherwise than submit our lives to this Lord and arrive a transformed life? Anyone who does otherwise, anyone who maybe says that Jesus is Lord but never and never has and doesn't live a transformed life, anyone who does that, well, they might be saying the right words, but the way they live shows that they haven't grasped the reality of what those words actually mean and so it's meaningless literally it is meaningless well in looking at why Israel found themselves in the situation that they were in and at their responsibility for this so far we've looked at the problem of ignorance and the way to righteousness the way to righteousness and salvation that God has laid out through Christ we've looked at that a way that's accessible and understandable, a way that's open to all and a way that demands inward belief and outward confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, risen and victorious. And we're just going to move on to look at the root of rejection in verse 16 to 21. The root reason why Israel rejected the gospel, why they rejected Jesus, their long-awaited Messiah. And what Paul makes clear here, and we've touched on it already, is that Israel's rejection of the gospel is neither because they do not hear, because all Israel at that time had every opportunity to hear the gospel, nor is it because they do not understand, for the message has been made clear to them, and they have seen with their own eyes the transformation and blessing it's brought to believing Gentiles, which has actually provoked them to jealousy. So verse 19. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will by those who are not a nation, I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. That is the Gentiles. 
And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask me. That's again the Gentiles. Now the root reason, the real reason for Israel's rejection of Christ, their Messiah and his gospel isn't because of their lack of understanding. It is because of their pride. It's because they're proud, stubborn people. Again, what the gospel says about their sin, what it says about the need of a saviour, offends their pride, and they will not give in to God. They will not admit their need of God. They're proud, obstinate, disobedient. That's the reason. That's their problem. That's the root reason for their rejection of their Christ and his gospel. You know, things don't change really all that much. For I believe that's the root rejection for much of our society's rejection of Christ as well. For we today are living in our country, and we know it, in hard times for the gospel, just as there were hard times in the first century. We don't face maybe the kind of fierce and aggressive hostility to the gospel that Paul and his contemporaries faced. We don't, but as a result of where we are at this point in history, what we face is apathy and disinterest. That's the way that stubborn rejection of God clothes itself in our time. And you know, I believe that's just every bit as hard to bear. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with it when faced by that kind of attitude that just turns away from God, wants nothing to do with him? What do we do? Do we just give in? Do we? Do we just retreat into our safe church community and hide away from a world that's turned its back on us and on God? Well, let's answer that question as we look at the final point that's made here about Israel and about human responsibility, and that is the necessity of witness. Verse 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who brings good news. Now what all this boils down to is an urgent call to evangelism. For what Paul was saying to the first century Christians who first received this letter, what he's saying to them is, listen, even among those proud, stubborn, hostile Jews that you're facing today, God has his people. That if you go to them, that even among Israel, you will find people responsive to the gospel. And listen, this time... It's about your responsibility. Your responsibility to take it to them. And it's your responsibility in another way. Don't. You will have to answer for that to God. Now the same message I believe is directly applicable to us today, Christians in 21st century Scotland. That out there, in this apparently disinterested, apathetic world. Out there, God has his people. And it's up to us 
to take the gospel to them. It's up to us to present the gospel by our lives and our words. And you know, preaching the gospel isn't just about one person standing in the, the front here or a, a Sunday or whatever or something got out on YouTube. If we think that if that happens, we have fulfilled our evangel evangelistic responsibility as a church, and I tell you, we are sadly mistaken. Not each one of us has a responsibility to evangelize. Each one of us is called by God to witness to his gospel. We're not all gifted preachers. We're not all specially called evangelists. But, you know, all of us are called to live out the faith and to share our faith in the world to our friends and neighbors, our family, whoever. We are all called to be messengers of the gospel. And did you know, if we're not doing that, then any preaching of the gospel that goes on online or in here will be ineffective because the ground won't be broken up. People won't be brought to that point. They won't be ready to hear the message that we're bringing. Let me share a final word about responsibility. Just one final word. First to God's people. Again, it is your responsibility to share the gospel. It's your responsibility to evangelize and to witness as you are able. And if you don't that ex accept that responsibility, how can they believe in the one they have not heard? But you know, at the same time, let's never forget that this is also the most glorious privilege in this life. To be used by God in this way, to be used by him, to share Jesus, and perhaps to be the vessel chosen by God to help someone to find him. There is no more precious privilege than that. There's nothing that brings the true believer greater joy or satisfaction. And so as it says here in verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. And to those here listening who perhaps haven't yet found faith in Jesus Christ, if that's where you are, I want to beg you today, give up on your stubbornness and pride. Give up trying to ignore God or trying to, to kid yourself that you can make yourself in some way good enough for him. Give it up. And rather, give in to the gospel. Take hold by faith of the gift that God offers to you now. This is your responsibility. And it's a big one, because remember, if you don't take hold of what God offers you in life now, then you will have to answer to God in the life to come. But God offers you right now life, love, joy, forgiveness, peace, and so much more in Jesus Christ. Take hold of that. Take hold of him right now by faith let's just pray together Father there's nothing more precious and nothing so Lord help each one here 
who's listening or watching to this, who knows you, help us to realize that we have a responsibility to share Jesus by the way that we live, to make sure that our life fits in with the character and the message of Christ. And then, as you give us opportunity to be ready to share Jesus to a needy world. And Lord, if we're watching today and we don't yet know you, help us to give in to pride. Help us to turn our back on pride. Help us to stop trusting our own righteousness and help us today by faith to take hold of all that you have for us in Christ. You want to bless us. You want to fill our hearts with your love. Lord, help us to turn to you now. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.